Morning, Journey. I don't know about you, but I am a sucker for a really good, like, war, battle, fight scene in a movie. Like, for me, there's nothing better than, like, an epic scene in a movie where these great two against each other. I believe that Die Hard is the second greatest Christmas movie ever made. <laughs> National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation is number one, in case you're curious. And this morning, we're going to be in Exodus chapters 5 through 10. And what we're going to see and what we're going to talk about this morning, we're going to spend the bulk of our time walking back through that story, reminding some of us what it is, maybe introducing it to some of you for the first time. And it is this epic, incredible battle scene where God goes to war against another group of people. In fact, one of the commentaries that I read this week, it actually kind of the way he described these five chapters, I felt like I was hearing that that movie voice that you get like in the previews, right? Like this is what he said, talking about Exodus 5 through 10. He says, a reluctant Moses, an unbelieving Pharaoh, a crushed and dispirited Israel, a proud and ruling Egyptian people, a non-nation against one of the greatest of nations are all brought together at the opposing sides and still more firmly into their respective ways so that Yahweh's presence will be known and turn everything upside down and that God's way may be established forever out of darkness coming to a theater near you. <laughs> I, I read that, I'm like, this is like written for this sermon series. And, and let me set the scene for us this morning. Before we get into chapter five, just to remember what we talked about last week, that the protagonist of our story is this man named Moses, this reluctant leader, that this man who God told to go rescue his people out of darkness, and Moses had every excuse in the book, right? Moses said, well, I don't think I'm good enough to go. I don't think you're sending the right people to go. I don't think I have the answers for what they're going to ask me. I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I should do this. And eventually he just said, God, I don't want to do this. And then as we begin chapter 5, this is the first two verses. It says, after that, <laughs> Moses and Aaron approached Pharaoh and they said, God, the God of Israel says this, free my people. Free my people so that they can hold a festival for me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said to them, who is this God? Who is this God that I should listen to him and send Israel off? I don't know anything. I know nothing of this so-called God, and I'm certainly not going to send Israel with you. Well, Pharaoh goes on, and not only does he turn Moses and Aaron away, not only does he tell them that he is not going to do any of this, not only does he say, I don't even know this God that you're talking about, but then Pharaoh goes back and he actually punishes the captive Israelites who are enslaved by him. He makes them work twice as hard. He says, you're going to work twice as hard, and I'm going to give you half as much as I was giving you to get the job done. And the Israelites then go to Moses and Aaron, and they complain to Moses and Aaron. And then Moses goes back, and he complains to God. <laughs> so Moses goes and does what God says. It doesn't go well right away. And so then the Israelites get punished more. They go to Moses and complain. Moses goes to God to complain. And essentially what God says in my translation of the Bible is, Moses, hold on to your shorts, because I'm about to go off. He says, Moses, just wait a minute, because it's about to get crazy. God reminds Moses of who he is. He reminds Moses of what he's done and why he sent him. And Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh, and our rescue mission begins. Now, before we jump in, don't miss this this morning. Don't miss this little point before we jump into this battle, this epic battle between God and Egypt. 
Don't miss this, what happens to Moses and Aaron in this moment. If you and I, if you're here this morning and you're a servant of God, if you're here on mission for God, you should expect opposition. That's what's happening to Moses and Aaron. They go to go on mission for God, and the first thing they do doesn't go well. And it reminds you and me this morning that if you and I are servants of God on mission for God, we should expect opposition. And when opposition and doubt comes, which it will, we need to be reminded of who God is, what he's promised, and what he's done, just like Moses and Aaron. As we begin this story this morning, I want us to remember that if God calls us to something, then that means that God will enable us to accomplish that something. Before we jump into this battle scene, I want you and I to remember that what God begins, God always completes. And so Moses and Aaron, they go to Pharaoh, and they try to warn him of what's coming. Moses goes and throws down his staff, and it turns into a stake, more than likely a cobra. The sorcerers do the exact same thing, and Aaron's snake eats theirs. And this should have been a sign. This, this really sets the stage for what Pharaoh should have known as they begin this. He should have been able to see what's coming. This serpent was a special creature in Egyptian religion. And what God is doing here right off the bat is God is showing Pharaoh that anything you worship is going to be swallowed up by what Israel worships. In Exodus chapter 7, though, it says this, verse 13, it says, Pharaoh's heart, however, remained hard. He still refused to listen just as God had predicted. And as we jump into our battle scene this morning, you're going to see this repeated over and over and over again. And so God begins this epic nine-plague battle that we'll conclude next week when Dave talks about the tenth plague. And the first plague was simply this. It's the plague of the blood. God tells Moses and Aaron to go and stand at the bank of the Nile and tell Pharaoh that because of his refusal to let his people go, that war is coming. In verses 17 and 18 of chapter 7, it says, God says this, he says, I will show you that I am the Lord. He says, I will strike the water of the Nile with the staff in my hand and the river will turn to blood. The fish will die, the river will stink, the Egyptians will not be able to drink any water from the Nile. And Aaron raises his staff, he strikes the Nile, and the whole river turns into blood. Now, understand that the Nile River is the source of life for Egypt. It's where they get their drinking water, it's, where they, it's the water they use to water the crops, it's, it's literally the sustainer of life in their culture. And in one swift move, God says, that's gone. But then Pharaoh brings out his magicians, and, and they can do this trick too, and so Pharaoh says, yeah, so what? So God sends a second plague, the plague of the frogs. Moses goes back and tells Pharaoh, God says, let my people go. Pharaoh says no. So Aaron raises his staff, and frogs cover the whole land. Frogs everywhere. In fact, in Psalm 150, it says, their land swarmed with frogs, even in the chambers of the kings. Now understand, that's, that's an Old Testament biblical world. What chambers more than likely means is the bathroom. So this is what God does. He sends frogs, and frog, they're saying frogs were everywhere. Even when the king went to the bathroom, frogs were there. But then Pharaoh brings out his magicians, and the magicians can do this too. And so Pharaoh some, he says, okay, so what? Well, then the problem is the magicians could bring the frogs, but they couldn't take them away. 
And so they add to this huge problem. And in verse 8 of chapter 8, Pharaoh brings Moses and Aaron back, and he begins to turn. He, he begs them. He says, plead with your God, plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me and my people, and then I'll let your people go so they can offer sacrifices to your God. So Moses goes back, and he prays to God, and God relents, and the frogs go away. But then in verse, 15, verse 16, you're going to see a, re, verse 15, you're going to see a repeated pattern. Pharaoh goes to Moses and begs for him to make this go away. Moses goes and prays to God. God relents, and then this happens. It says that Pharaoh, when he saw that relief had come, he became stubborn. He refused to listen to Moses and Aaron just as the Lord predicted. So then God sends a third plague, the plague of the gnats. In verse 16, he says, Tell Aaron to raise his staff and strike the ground, and the dust will turn into swarms of gnats throughout the land of Egypt. And Moses and Aaron do this. And I don't know about you, but in this, in this scripture, as I studied it this week, gnats are annoying to me, right? Like as we read through this, I don't know anybody that goes, you know, I'm just excited for mosquito season. Like I can't wait. And so, like, this plague is one of the worst to me. And then I read this this week. So the Hebrew word for gnats is kind of ambiguous. And there's a whole group of scholars that thinks it's actually not gnats. It's really lice. Yeah, some of you just did this, right? <laughs> like, you're all going to go home from church today and like, man, right? And so God sends this on this people. And this time, Pharaoh's magicians cannot duplicate it. In fact, they come to Pharaoh and they say, we don't know how to do this. This must be the finger of God. But Scripture says that Pharaoh's heart remained hard. Now, maybe this is a good time to pause here in the middle of our story and tackle this idea of what does a hardened heart mean? Now, now later on, we're going to see that a couple times God hardens Pharaoh's heart, and we're going to talk about that later. But over and over and over again, this passage tells us that Pharaoh hardened his heart. What does that mean? What does it mean to have a hard heart towards God? Well, one of the commentators I read this week is a man named Warren Wearsby, and I really liked what he said. He said, a hardened heart means that we see clear evidence, clear evidence of the hand of God at work, and yet we still refuse to accept his word and submit to his will. He, he says a hardened heart means that we resist God, even though we see him clearly and we see that what he's doing is clearly from him, and yet we resist him, we disobey him, and we have no fear of his judgments because of it. So what's happening to Pharaoh is he's seeing clear evidence that God is acting. And yet, not only does Pharaoh say no, Pharaoh willingly disobeys, refuses to acknowledge this, and has no concern about himself or that God's going to punish him. And so God says, fine, here comes another one. And the plague of the flies come. Moses goes down to the river to meet Pharaoh in the morning. He tells them there's going to be swarms of flies coming all over the land. But this time, God does something different. This time in the fourth plague, it shifts. Before, the first three plagues went all over the land. The fourth plague, God says in verse 23 of chapter 8, he says, I will make a clear distinction between my people and your people. This miraculous sign will happen tomorrow. And God sends flies everywhere in the land of Egypt except in the land of Goshen where God's people are dwelling. And in verse 25 of chapter 8, Pharaoh begins to turn. 
And Pharaoh calls him back. He says, okay, okay, okay. He says, all right, go ahead and go offer sacrifices to your God, but, but do it here. Pharaoh begins to, to try to compromise with God in this battle. He says, you can, you, can, you can do what you want to do. You just can't do it where you want to do it. And Moses says, that's not what God's asking for. And Pharaoh says that, okay, fine, just go. He goes, ask God to take away the flies, and then you can do what you want. And again, we see what happens. Pharaoh cries out to Moses and Aaron. Moses and Aaron cry out to God. God relents, and Pharaoh becomes stubborn and changes his mind. And so in the fifth plague, Moses tells Pharaoh to let God's people go. And he says this time, he says, if you don't, God's going to kill all the livestock, all the animals, all of them. He's going to kill them, except for Israel's animals. None of them will die. And God does exactly what he says, but Pharaoh's heart remains stubborn. He still refuses to let the people go. And then we begin to shift into the second half of the plagues, and notice this. Notice this this morning. You're going to start to notice that the plagues begin to get worse and worse and worse the longer Pharaoh refuses to listen. I mean, the first few are bad enough, right? But we can handle some gnats or even some lice. That, that'll go away. But God's about to send things that are way worse. The longer Pharaoh resists, the worse the plagues get. And I think that's a reminder for you and I this morning. I think it's a reminder to us that the longer we refuse to listen to the voice of God, the longer we refuse to respond to his word, the louder sometimes God has to speak. And yet Pharaoh continues to resist. He will not listen. Proverbs 28 says this, Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. And as we finish this story this morning, we're going to see that this is true over and over again in the life of Pharaoh and his people. And so in chapter 9, verse 8, God begins a sixth plague. The Lord says to Moses and Aaron, he says, Take handfuls of soot from a brick kiln and have Moses toss it into the air. And, and Pharaoh is going to see this and toss it into the air, and the ashes will spread like fine dust over the whole land of Egypt, causing festering boils to break out on the people and the animals throughout the land. And Pharaoh watches as this takes place, and now even the magicians of Pharaoh, not only can they not do what God is doing, they can't even come before Pharaoh because they're getting all the boils and all the things on them, and they cannot even leave their homes. But in the sixth plague, this time scripture says that God hardens Pharaoh's heart. And he refuses to listen. We're going to come back to that. So then in verses 13 and 14, God describes what's coming, the plague of the hail. It says, God said to Moses, get up early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh. Tell him this is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews says, let my people go so they can worship me. If you don't, I'll send more plagues on you and your officials and your people. And then you will know, don't miss this. God says, then you will know that there is no one like me in all the earth. What God is saying is he's telling Pharaoh, I could have wiped you out from the beginning of this. But I haven't because I want to display my power so that you have the opportunity to repent and so that everybody has the opportunity to know that I am the God who is worthy of worship. But Pharaoh still will not let them go. And so God sends a hail and lightning storm beyond anything you can imagine everywhere except in the land of Goshen. The plague destroys everything, animals, plants, trees, livestock, crops, everything is gone. And now Pharaoh panics. 
In, in verse 27 of chapter 9, it says, He summoned quickly Moses and Aaron, and this time he even admits he's messed up. He says, This time I've sinned. Your God, the Lord, he is the righteous one, and my people and I, we are wrong. He says, please beg the Lord to end this terrifying thunder and hail. We've had enough. I will let you go. You don't need to stay any longer. And so Moses prays, and God relents, and Pharaoh hardens his heart and changes his mind. And so God sends locusts over the whole land, they devour everything that was left from all the plague. Nothing is there anymore. The land is laid bare. And this time, Pharaoh's officials and magicians, they actually come to him, and now not only are they not helping, they're begging him to stop. They come to Pharaoh, and they appeal to them. They said, how long are you going to let this man hold us hostage? Let him go. Let him go and worship the Lord your God. They say, Pharaoh, do you not realize that Egypt lies in ruins? And Pharaoh, one more time, tries to bargain with Moses. He says they can go, but, but not all of them can go. And Moses essentially says to Pharaoh, that's not how it works. You're either all in with what God wants or you're all out. And God sends locusts over the land, and Pharaoh brings them back. He says he sins, and he tells them to pray. Moses asks God to relent. God relents, and Pharaoh once again changes his mind. And then there's one more plague this morning for us, the plague of darkness. God has Moses lift his hand towards heaven, and the entire land of Egypt is covered in darkness, except the people of Israel and where they live. And this reminds you and I this morning that in the midst of a dark and fallen world, there will always be a light that shines. Even when it seems like the entire world is covered in darkness, there is always a light that shines. And that light is those who believe and are waiting for God to rescue them. And Pharaoh tries to bargain again, and Moses says, no deal. And the Lord hardens Pharaoh's heart, and Pharaoh says, Moses, get out of here. He says, if I see you again, you're dead. And so Moses leaves. And, and this is a time for us really quickly to tackle this idea of how does God harden Pharaoh's heart? What does that mean? Because there, there's a, a way to look at this and say, well, well, maybe Pharaoh wanted to change and God didn't let him. How does that happen? Well, I don't think that's what this means. When, God, when it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart, I, a better word might be strengthened. So, so Scripture never says that God made Pharaoh do what he wanted to do. What, what it means, when, the Hebrew, what it means when he hardens his heart is what it means is that God is helping Pharaoh live out what Pharaoh has already decided to do. Since Pharaoh has not responded to God's offer of repentance, God eventually says, fine, then I'm going to give you the strength to actually do what you've already decided to do anyway so that other people might know that I'm God. In, in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 1, it says, He who is often reproved, yet stiffens his neck or hardens his heart, will suddenly be broken beyond healing. And what God is saying is, Pharaoh, you've already decided to do all this, and so I'm going to let you continue to do it. I'm going to help you continue to do it so that maybe other people will come to know me. And that's our epic battle scene this morning. It's a lot, right? I mean, it's, it's kind of like that movie that you walk out of the movie theater and you're just like, holy cow, right? And so 
I don't know about you, but when I see movies like that, a lot of times I walk out and I'm filled with questions or thoughts. And as I read this story, there's really two questions that I want us to answer really quickly before we're done. And I think the first question you have to ask when you read this is, what makes God declare war? Because that's really what's happened here, right? God has said we're going to war against these people. What would make God do something like that? As I read scripture and as I walk with God over my my life, I see a God who is merciful and loving, a God who is patient and kind, a God who loves everyone and accepts everyone and wants everyone to come to know him. What makes a loving, gracious, merciful God do this? What is it that flips the switch for God and he says, okay, we're going die hard on Egypt, right? Well, you know, the answer is actually really simple. God went to war because his people needed rescued. God declares war to rescue his people and to make himself known. See, the ultimate purpose of all of this was so that God could set his people free from slavery. But at the same time, while God is doing that, while God is accomplishing his purpose of setting his people free, he's going to use this to reveal himself, not just to Egypt, but again to his own people, so that other people might come to know him and be set free as well. God goes to war to set people free. It's that simple and it's that plain. And God not only saw his people in physical captivity, But God saw the people who were holding his people captive in spiritual captivity. And so God said, I'm going to do this so that my people can go free and so that other people will know that I am the Lord. That that phrase, I am the Lord, does not occur in Exodus before Pharaoh asks the question, who is God? But once Pharaoh asks it, in chapter 5, it's said over and over again through the rest of our story. These plagues were so God could show people who he is. Egypt had more than 80 different gods and deities, 80 different things that were worshipped in Egypt, and yet all of those 80 could do nothing to stop the God of Israel. And and all of these deities fall really into three categories. No matter what deity you worshipped in Egypt, one through 80, all of them were either gods of the Nile River, gods of the land, or gods of the sky. And all of God's plagues showed superiority over all 80 gods of Egypt. Why? Because God wanted to rescue his people from physical captivity. And God wanted the people who were spiritually captive to know that they were worshiping the wrong God. So he could set them free. So that leads to the last question this morning. How do we respond to such an incredible crazy story what do we do with this what do we do with this out of darkness incredibly crazy battle what does it mean for you and I today I think there's really three people or three groups of people in this story that you or I fall into Uh, the first one is Pharaoh right Pharaoh is the character in the story he's the hard-hearted oppressor who needs to repent Pharaoh is the guy whose heart is so hardened and darkened that he, he can't even believe that God exists. He can't even understand why he would need to know about God. And so he oppresses all the people around him because he has no idea what the freedom is that God is offering. 
In, in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says there's people like this all over. In verse 18, he says they're darkened in their understanding. They're alienated. They're separated from the life of God because of the ignorance, because they don't know. And most of that is because they're heart of heart, he says. And so this morning, maybe you know someone like that. Maybe you know someone who is, is so far from God or, or their heart has become so hard towards God for maybe for really good reasons that they, they, they just can't even believe that a God exists or they wrestle with that. Or maybe you're here this morning and you struggle with that. You struggle to obey God or you feel like your heart has just become hardened towards God. And what most people will tell you is to suck it up, right? They'll say, oh, just figure it out. You, gotta just, you just got to pick yourself up by your bootstraps. Can I tell you this morning, that's not what you need to do. You do not need more willpower or gumption. What you need is you need to know God and his son Jesus. Because God and his son Jesus are the only people who can turn a heart that is hard back into a heart of flesh. You cannot do it on your own, and we cannot do it for you, and you cannot do it for other people. If you or someone you know is like Pharaoh and your heart has become so hardened towards God that you can't even recognize him, what you need and what they need is God and his son Jesus. Well, the second group in our story is Israel. And Israel are the people who are enslaved and who need to be rescued. I think the key phrase in these five chapters of Exodus is when God says, then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. God is doing all of this so people know that he is a God who sets captives free. God is the one who is fulfilling his promise to release Israel and to get them out of captivity into freedom. He's saying, everything you've ever heard, that's what I'm going to do. And there's this beautiful verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. That's a beautiful verse. And I know that I've read it a million times probably, but I never really stopped until this week. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. He says, all the promises of God, don't miss it, all of them. Every promise that God has ever made to his people find their yes in Jesus. All the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. Everything that God has ever promised in the history of the world, everything you find in Scripture, God's promise to set people free, God's promise to bring purpose in your life, God's promise to forgive sins, God's promise for healing, God's promise of eternal life, God's promise of everything you can think of, everything you read in Scripture finds its yes in a man named Jesus. Church, what that means this morning is when you're stuck, when you're enslaved, when you wonder what God is doing, when you doubt that God's doing anything, when you struggle to trust him, when life is harder than you think it should be, when you look at life and wonder where God is at, you wonder if God will ever fulfill his promise, if he'll ever bring you healing. God, will you ever make this go away? God, could you ever forgive my sin? God, could you ever use someone like me? God, how can my life ever have meaning in this world? He said, right here that all of the answers to all of your questions is yes in Jesus. God says that when you struggle, when you think life isn't what it should be, when you feel enslaved to sin, that you look to the cross in the empty tomb and you remember that God always keeps his promises. 
You look to the cross and the empty tomb, and you see that God is a God who snatches victory from the jaws of defeat. You're reminded of what Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, that Jesus has delivered us. God has delivered us from the domain of darkness. He has brought us out of darkness, and he has transferred us into the kingdom of his Son, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. As the band comes this morning, there's only one other group in the story, Moses and Aaron. Moses and Aaron are free already in this story. They're not held captive. Moses and Aaron are the messengers of God who need to act. And what Moses and Aaron remind you and me this morning is if you're here and your life is surrendered to Jesus, if you have been set free from the captivity of sin, then you and I are now God's messengers who need to act. What Moses and Aaron remind you and me this morning in this story is that those who have been rescued, those who have come out of darkness into light, we have a responsibility to tell others how they can find the way out. See, I think the story of Exodus is actually really simple. I think this story, this, this movie, this out of darkness experience, it's really God reminding us who he is. And God reminds us in this story this morning and throughout the rest of the book that God is a God who keeps his promises always. God is a God who rules his world and God is a God who redeems his people. That is without question this morning, church. My only question is do you know him? And have you let him set you free? Every question that you have in this life, every doubt that you have that you can be redeemed and set free from the captivity of sin, everything that you think, every excuse that you wonder about uh, of whether you could be forgiven or set free or used by God, it finds its yes in Jesus. Every promise, every hope, Every life finds its yes in Jesus. Do you know him? And if you know him, who have you told about him? We invite you to worship him as we stand and sing.